Welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I'm here again with my wonderful wife, Natasha Mason. Hello, hello. And there she is. Wow, she's in the microphone today. All right. So uh, she just got in from work, and we're trying to get to the podcast before the evening sets upon us too late. Um, we want a brief recap. Uh, this is Acts chapter 2, by the way. Um, we're going through the book of Acts in the study, and this is a special edition. So if you're listening, uh, you should be able to pick these episodes out quite easily to cover through the book of Acts. Um, we're picking up where we left off in chapter 1. Chapter 1 ends with the disciples um, choosing... Um, by election and prayer, the replacement for Judas. And uh, they've elected Matashahu to join them. And um, Matthias, I believe it says in the English. Um, so they're in, in Jerusalem and they're waiting at Pentecost. And uh, they're waiting on the comforter that Jesus has promised before he ascended into heaven to come and to dwell with them. So we're going to pick up from there. Pentecost uh, starts 50 days from the end of Passover. I think in the last episode I made a clerical error and said 40 days. So, uh, But it's actually 50 days from the end of Passover. So they're waiting in Jerusalem. We're going to pick up there with Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. All right, so there we got chapter two. Uh, we're starting off kind of strong there. So they're coming in, they're praying, and a mighty rushing wind comes in, and it's like cloven. There's the wind, cloven tongues of fire. Um, so again, I'm going to take everyone uh, back to Egypt. I'm going to rem- this constant reminder of pointing backwards um, in time. The scripture says uh, the things that happened in the Old Testament were for- foreshadow of things to come. Um, so if you go back to Exodus chapter twenty, uh, verse eighteen. Um, you're going to find in that that scripture. I'll have you. I'm not going to read it here, but um, if you go back there and you look in that scripture, you find that the uh, the Hebrews and the people who came out of Egypt are standing at the mountain of God at Pentecost. They're there on the the day of Pentecost, and uh, the scripture says that the the Lord is there on the mountain, and He's like uh, thunder and lightning, and uh, says the earth is shaking, and there's a mighty wind, and the the people become really afraid. And uh, so Moses is there and they talk to Moses and they say, hey, Moses, can you talk to God for us? And Moses says, why? And they said, because if we hear his voice, um, it's going to kill us, basically. We're scared to death um, because of God, because he is so powerful. And so this is on Pentecost when they receive this. Um, So at the same time, we have the disciples here and the Lord is coming into the room as a mighty rushing wind. So it's really similar to what was going on in uh, Mount Sinai. So... um, the Holy Spirit now is coming in. So you have to look back to it that, um, and you have to understand that when the Lord gave Moses his word, um, that is the same as the Holy Spirit coming into the, the room with the disciples and the apostles. Um, so that's what we see here in, in chapter two. Um, there's going to be some more interesting things. Go ahead. Continuing on in verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, 
because that every man heard them speak in his own language. All right, so let's pause there for a second. So the Holy Spirit came in, they were all filled, and they immediately went out on the day of Pentecost, and they began to speak in tongues. Um, one of the biggest misconceptions is that always, tongues is not always the tongues of angels. So a lot of people think it's the babbling where no one understands what you're saying. But the scripture here says that there were men, Jews from uh, devout men, right? So, out of every nation right. under heaven. So these are Jews. They're all Jews here that are listening to the disciples speak. Uh, and it goes on to say that they hear them speaking in their own language. Um, so it's very interesting that the first example of speaking in tongues here is speaking in a different language from their own or being heard in a different language from their own. This is a real contest that I put to people today when they talk about speaking in tongues, that this, the example of what we see here, doesn't happen very often. This is a very rare thing that happens in the world today. Um, and this is the uh, this is an example of the power of God. And the reason, and we'll go on and read here real quick. Go ahead and read some more. Uh, continuing on, in, I'm going to reread verse 6, and then we'll go on. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Right. So let's stop right there. Um, she's got to rest her tongue after yeah, all that. I'm not rereading all that. That's <laughs> okay. Names. So there's a lot of names there, right? So it's a lot of ancient names, ancient places. So what the scripture, nothing in the scripture that is put there is put there as a void thing. Uh, you get into the book of uh, Numbers and there's a lot of names there and a lot of people don't understand, and, but there's reasons. So the reason the scripture is listing, one of the reasons the scripture is listing all of the people who are here is to show you that is a diverse multitude of people, Jews, from every nation around um, the area. I mean, it's just, it, and why is that important? Um, why would that be important? So remember, everything from the Old Testament is an example or a, a foreshadowing of to come. So why, would, why do you think that would be important? Why, why, why did the distinction of all these people? Like they were hearing them speak in their own language? Or right. why was it important to say all these people? Why was there? it important to list all these people off, all these different people? Because, I mean, it makes the the case for people speaking different languages coming. Is that what you're getting at? Okay, that's pretty good. No, I think you're, you're, you got a good point there, right? <laughs> Wait, so what? it's the example of the power of God, right? So they all hear it in the different language. So they, they know that it is uh, something from God because it can't be anything else. They These men, because they listed, aren't these Galileans? How are they standing here speaking in all these different languages? And we all can understand. Right, and we can all understand. Also, the second thing there would be at the, uh, the mountain, at Mount Sinai, it wasn't, and this is one thing people really need to understand, it was not only the Jews who came out of Egypt. The scripture says they brought everyone, all kinds of people with them. A lot of people think that when God gave the Torah, his laws, that he gave them specifically to Jewish people. 
But in reality, God gave them to the world. He gave them to everyone because every uh, group of people was generally uh, represented. There were over a million people that came out of Egypt and they were not just Hebrews. There were other slaves that came with them from other um, societies and other peoples and other groups. And um, so all these people come there and Moses, this is really important. Moses is speaking as the voice of the Lord. He's telling Moses and Moses is giving them uh, God's word, which is an example of the spirit, which is Moses is one. Now we have 12 men. We have 12 men together and they're speaking and, and the uh, word of God is being heard from them in everyone's language. So it's, 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 this, um, it's this idea of what happened in Egypt is now happening on a much larger scale. And uh, it's again representing, this is interesting to me because there's a scripture there that says, that, the one about the Jews, I've underlined it. Can you read that one more time? This is verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven. Okay, stop. So leave the middle. I didn't underline one part there. The devout men. Leave that out and read it again, but leave that part out. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews out of every nation under heaven. Ah, so there we go. So now here's a, here's a really cool thing, right? So Jesus has already told him in chapter one that the gospel has to go to the ends of the earth. They're standing here and all these people who are listening to him are Jewish. So they think that the gospel is only going to go to the Jews. Okay. And we'll see this in a little bit with Peter because he's a little confounded by it. God has to do some things to really shake him up. But here they think the gospel is only going to the Jews because these Jews are from every nation in the world. Well, they represent everybody. These are all our people from all around the world. They've come here to listen and to hear the gospel. So this is why that portion of scripture, the only reason I took the devout man out is because it breaks that sentence up. And it's easy to forget that this is these are Jewish people. It's just Jewish people here right now. Um, in the early church, one of the things that we get wrong is we say that the Jews denied Christ. Um, we're getting ready to see something else here, so continue on reading. From verse 6 or where I uh, Where you left off. Um, this is verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. All right, so they've they've accused them of being drunk, which is really interesting that you would speak a different language when you're drunk, and I don't know how that would work, but that's their accusation is that you're drunk. And me and Natasha talked about this yesterday, and she was able to figure it out before you even said anything, which is fantastic. So remember, I've said before to understand some of the things in the Scripture, you need to know the uh, time frame in the book of Genesis. Um, and in this specific verse, Paul, or Peter, I'm sorry, Peter here makes a claim. He says it's but the third hour of the day. You know, why would we be drunk? For these are not drunken, as you suppose seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So he's in English, you're sitting there and you're going, well, what does that even mean, right? So uh, just quickly, uh, in the Old Testament, the evening and the morning of the first day. So God breaks the day up into two parts. The evening starts at 6 p.m. The day or the morning starts at 6 a.m. So when he says it's the third hour of the day, he's talking about the daylight portion of the day. Third hour from 6 o'clock is? 9 a.m. It's 9 a.m. So there are, unless they've been drinking for breakfast, it's, it's 9 a.m. in the morning and they're standing out here testifying the gospel. And you can do the same thing in the evening. If it would be uh, the third hour of the evening, it would be 9 p.m. So that's what's going on here. Um, continue on. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall 
see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, so stop there. This is really important. This is huge. This is key, right? So what he's doing here is he's quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28. You can go look that up. And he's quoting the scripture out of Joel, which is Old Testament prophet, right? So it's a prophecy about um, the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's a, it's about him pouring out uh, visions and um, uh, speaking in tongues and all these different things. He's talking about that. So here's really something that's cool and key about this scripture is that the, the prophecy that he is talking about right here is still in effect. This prophecy has not ended. Because the moon has not turned to, to blood, the sun is not darkened, and the day of the Lord has not come yet. So, and the the prophecy in Joel two uh, twenty eight is still in continuation right now while we're alive. This prophecy is still being fulfilled. Um, you understand in the New Testament, we talked about it in the last episode, the only scripture they had was the Old Testament. They had the Torah, the major and minor prophets. That's what they had. That's what they quoted. So they understood that this was a portion. What's going on here is a portion of this prophecy from Joel. Continue on. Continuing in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to, be, to see corruption." All right, so let's stop, pause there. So what we're referencing here, Peter is talking to them and he's quoting to them. He's told them that they've crucified Christ. He's told them that he's uh, the son of God and he is saying, um, this is foretold to us by David, right? So David. So if you want to know where that's at, that's Psalms chapter 16, verse 10. Um, and he's talking about, this is also, you'll see this later on with Paul, when he's trying to convert the Jews, he's trying to convince the Jews, he goes in and he uses specifically this text from David because David is talking about, you, you wouldn't let your Holy One see corruption and he sits on your right hand. Um, and, and Peter and David both are going to say, um, but his sepulcher is with us. David's sepulcher, his bones are with us. He's not sitting at the right hand of God. He's tasted death. So it can't be talking about him. So the reference here is to say, David was talking about the Messiah to come. He was talking about Yeshua because David is dead and, the, and Yeshua is the only one to be raised from the dead by God the Father and seated at his right hand. So this is what's going on in verse 24 here. As well, in verse 24 of this scripture, um, it's very important to understand the fact that they're um, proclaiming the resurrection of Christ and the Jews who are listening have no contention. 
They're not disputing at all. They're not saying that never happened. You're a liar. This didn't occur. They are listening to what the disciples are saying because now they're, uh, they know this is true. What, what they're claiming is true. And, and we're going to see that in a, a verse down here below. Go ahead. Um, I'll start in verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me speak free, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had shown, sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he should raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord, shall, uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right, and what's the next verse? Just want to get we yeah, want to get one more in there. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles. Men and brethren, what shall we do? All right. So uh, Peter has laid out uh, the case of David that I, I spoke of, of, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand. He even specifically says that David is speaking about Jesus. He is speaking about the Messiah. He has ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father. So he lays this down and then he he, he accuses them. They're, you're the ones who had him crucified. The crowd was calling out, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, crucify him, right? So uh, do they get upset? Do they dispute? Do they, are they angry? about this? Are they um, calling them liars? Are they, are they, is there any kind of contention that goes on here? No, you see it in the next verse. They know what they've done. They know they were guilty for having him crucified. And the very next thing they say is men and brethren, what shall we do? That's right. The Bible says their hearts were pricked. So when the, when the scripture there says the heart is pricked, um, it's really a reference to being stabbed in the chest with a knife. It's like the truth just hit them in the face and they, they came to this realization. It's almost like the, the, the full weight of yes, what they had done. It just fell on them and they realized we have crucified the Messiah that we've been desiring to have. What do we do? That's the, the next question. What are we going to do? Um, so, all right, keep going. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin, 
and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Boom, there it is. All right, so we're going to pause there for a second too. Um, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost, right? So uh, again, this is the foreshadowing in Egypt. Uh, they are rescued out of Egypt by a Messiah. They're taken to the river um, and they are uh, baptized to, uh, in a word. They're kind of, they walk through it. Um, then they come to the mountain of God and they receive the word of the Lord. Here's the same thing. He gives us the three. Listen, this is the three specific in order ways to have salvation. There's no other order to this. And everybody needs to pay attention. Repent. That's number one. Number two is to be baptized. And number three is to receive the Holy Spirit. It is a three-step process. He didn't say be baptized and do good works. He didn't say be baptized and follow after Christ, uh, walk in his footsteps. He didn't say be baptized and join a church, be baptized and follow a denomination, be baptized and give all your money, be baptized and uh, forsake your family. Be baptized. He didn't say that. And, so, and the reason I'm picking baptized first is there's a lot of people out there who are equating baptism with salvation, and that is not it at all. Baptism is a symbol of salvation, is a, a symbol to the world of regeneration. First and foremost, you must repent of your sins. Then, once you're repented and you're clean in the eyes of God, you go through that baptism as a symbol of new life, and you're receiving the Holy Ghost. We saw this with Jesus and uh, John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. He went to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's repenting and calling it out. There he is. He says, I'm not worthy to uh, tie your shoes. And Jesus says, Baptize me. He baptizes him, and when he raises him up, what falls? The Holy Spirit as a dove comes down. So it's a three-step process, and he lays it out here. Repentance is first. Baptism is second and the Holy Ghost would be third. He's coming along. Continue. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. All right, let's pause there real quick. So in verse 39, Peter is speaking, honestly, he's speaking a prophecy right here. He doesn't even understand even Peter yet has understand the ability to understand what he is saying. Um, he is speaking a prophecy that says, read 39 one more time for me. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So Peter is thinking he's talking to Jews and he's telling them the Lord is going to save you. He's going to save your children. He's going to save even those that are far off. And what he's meaning in his mind is Jews that are far off. Because remember, the scripture says salvation is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile and the Greek. So Peter in his mind is thinking, uh, God's going to save the Jewish people here. He's going to save the Jewish people in Mesopotamia. He's going to save the Jewish people in Asia. Um, what he doesn't understand is the own, the own words out of his mouth are what God has already said he's going to do. He's going to sh share the gospel with the world. And Peter will learn this later. Um, the other thing there in verse, let me get my note here, uh, verse 40. Uh, the scripture says untoward, this untoward generation. What that means is crooked and perverse. If you don't know what that word is in the scripture, it's, he's saying, where are you going to get out of this crooked and wicked and evil and perverse generation? Continue on. Verse 41, and then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. 
All right, so uh, three thousand were added there, and a lot. And there's again, this is speculation on some parts, um, but there are people who believe that the amount of people who died at Mount Sinai for turning from the Lord was around three thousand, which is probably a lot more than that. I don't know. Um, and some think that's right now is a restoration here in this verse. Those people are given back; they're coming to the Lord. So that would be kind of an interesting point there. Um, here, it continue, continue on. Sorry, verse forty-four. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." All right, so here at the end of the chapter, we see the unity of the body of Christ. So these people have given their life to God. They've, given, they've accepted the Messiah. They've received the Holy Spirit. It says they've gone into the temple. They're going to witness. They're, honestly, they're going door to door here, and they're breaking bread with people, and they're telling them the good news of Messiah and Mashiach has come, and, and uh, uh, he was crucified, but he's alive, and he's with God. And they've sold, a lot of them have sold what they own. They've sold their lands, their properties, their goods, and they've pull, pulled their money together, and they've split it up so that everybody has an equal amount because here they're showing this unity that's in Christ, right? This is what he prayed with the Father. They'd be one in me as I am in you. And he prayed for great unity within the believers. And so this first group that gets saved here shows that unity by their actions. Remember, we talked about um, two things that really um, that prove that you're a believer in Jesus. Number one is what you say. And number two is what you do. So there's two different things there. So here's one, they've repented and they've received. And now their actions are to make sure that no one is without anything. And then they go out and it's interesting. Here's the first uh, door-to-door preachers, I think, because they're, they're going home to home and they're sharing the gospel. I mean, going witnessing. they're going, yes, they're going witnessing. So you, one thing, this is the last verse there, correct? 40, yeah. Yes. So uh, we're at the end of the chapter. And the interesting thing here that I really want you to grasp a hold of is that this is Jerusalem, right? So we're always told that the Jews rejected Jesus. Um, they said, crucify him, crucify him, and they crucified him. And then it was given over to the Gentiles. And the thing we, we don't understand, and we see it here in Acts, is that the very first church, the body of believers were all Jewish people. These are Jewish people in Jerusalem. And you're going to see that as we go into chapter 3 and 4 that the uh, gospel continues to grow in Jerusalem and the authorities and some of the people there get really upset about it. And they want them run out and they want them locked up because it is spreading like wildfire that the Messiah has come. Now, we go back to a little bit of historical context. Again, it's uh, you're not supposed to bear false witnesses, one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, time and time again, um, people are, you could be accused of being a false witness and thrown in prison. No one is disputing any of the disciples or anything that they have said. And the reason I point this out, there's a lot of people who say that Jesus didn't exist. A lot of people who say he never was a man. He didn't raise from the dead. If that were true, the Bible would never have been written because these men would have been put to death for lying blatantly. There would have been text and scriptures of people disputing with them, telling them it never happened. You're delusional. You're a bunch of liars. And the very fact that no one, not one person here is standing up to say, oh yeah, that didn't really happen. I don't know what they're talking about. Um, leads real good credence to their witness. Um, we don't, we weren't there. We can't see it. So we, by faith, believe what they've said. We believe their testimony. Um, and what does that mean for me? It's now that I have Jesus in my life and I have the Messiah in me, I have the Holy Spirit and I know who God is. 
that lends me more faith to even believe more what they're saying here, that this is absolute 100% truth um, of what had occurred. So we've come to the end of this chapter. This is Acts chapter 2. Really hope that you enjoyed uh, this lesson, um, just kind of a quick Bible study. We, I mean, there's some sermons that go on for hours on you know three or four verses, and we're trying to get through a, um, a chapter at a time. Um, we're going to probably, some of the chapters might take two episodes. We don't even know yet, um, but we really want to work through this. So if you're enjoying it, please share this with your friends. Uh, let your family know, say, hey, there's some, there's a good episode going on here. Um, good study. Hopefully it's a good study helping you out um, as to what, what, what started with our belief. Where did our history come from? I really want to equip you with the ability to talk to people um, and to share the gospel with them and have answers because most of the answers that we don't know are in the scripture. Most of the things that people don't know about God and about their Bible, it's right there. All we have to do is read it. So uh, go back step by step. Quick points real quick. Uh, I'm going to give you some scriptures you can look up just to to go with this. Remember to look up Joel 2.28, Psalms 16 and 10. And uh, those are going to Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, 18. So those are some scriptures that parallel with Acts chapter 2. We appreciate you for listening, and um, hopefully we'll catch you on Acts chapter 3.